I don't think we take enough time to just be sometimes. We like to fill every second of every day and then at the end of it, we're overwhelmed and, and you know, rightfully so. I wanted to do a, a, a series um, up close and personal and just talking about some real hard-hitting issues. And, and, and tonight, if, you, if you've got your fill-ins, if you need a fill-in, raise your hand. We'll try to get that to you. But depression... Depression is a mood, dis, a mood disorder characterized by, and I don't know how to say that word, anhedonia, extreme sadness, poor concentration, sleep problems, loss of appetite, and feelings of guilt, helplessness, and hopelessness. It's said that one in nine people, I, I, I can't remember if this was nationwide or if this was worldwide, but one in nine people are on, on some type of depression medication. I thought it was interesting that uh, the stigma that comes with depression or mental health, you know, if you, if you told somebody, I, I had the flu last week and there would be sympathy toward that, there would be, oh, okay, well, I hope you feel better. But when somebody come, says that they, have, uh, they deal with depression or they deal with mental things, you, there's a taboo about it. There's a stigma that comes along with that when people are, and it's just real. Before we get into the message, and I'm not going to go very long tonight, it's actually kind of a short message, is that it, all of us are, are affected by somebody that has had depression or has depression or even, even suicide. I, I know that we had a family friend that was living with my brother. He was, my bro he was without a job and without a home. And so, you know, my brother allowed him to come live with him and he took his life in my brother's house. And, um, you know, that was somebody that, ate, that had Thanksgiving with us and Christmas with us. And our, and our nieces and nephews called him Uncle, Uncle Bruce. And, uh, but it just was too much. And so I wonder, well, I do, I know what the answer is, and I think that there's a bit of a, and I have this magazine here because it was funny, when I wanted to do this series, I just got this magazine, you've seen me read from this one before, this is the next issue, and there's a story or an article in here about believers or Christians that deal with depression and suicide, and, and how uh, prevalent it is among your age group if you're about 25 and below, it's the number one killer of young people, is suicide. And I believe that, let me think of how to say this, I believe that the enemy, well, he's a sucker, he's a su he sucker punches people, and I believe that he's going to use things like that to, to affect the way that we live, and infecting the way that we live, uh, is how we, how we operate in this world and then how we view ourselves with the Lord. So hopefully after tonight, I give us some clarity. Your next fill-in is that uh, there are going... Well, I put you see... Y'all will get away all my secrets. <laughs> the green are my illustrations. The white are my... The white are my uh, points. The red is when it says, Jonathan, stop. There are going to be times in your life where it's tough. I don't think we tell people that. They think that if something is tough in life, then, then, then you have to fix it. And life is just hard sometimes. Life is not always going to be easy, and, lie, and, and that's okay. I, I, have you ever seen someone like that where they just go through just an impossible time? 
and, and you say, how are you doing? They said, well, I don't know. I don't think I'm doing very well. And we try to think, well, what can I say? What can I do to make this better? And if we could say, or we could do something to make it better, certainly we would. But there's many times there's nothing we can say. There's nothing we can do to make it better. Is that sometimes life is difficult, and, and that's okay. You're, you're experiencing things that, that won't be pleasant. This is from, and, and I have to give a disclaimer, I got this message after watching a pastor named Chris Hodges who did this series, and I took some of his points, but from this book that he was um, reading from called The Depression Cure by Stephen uh, Il, Illardy, it says, we... Uh, we were never designed for the sedentary, indoor, socially, socially isolated, fast food laden, sleep deprived, frenzy paced of modern life. And if you're like me, like at any given moment, one of those could describe you. Maybe not all of them, hopefully not all of them, but at some point in our day and in our life and in our week, we, we experience that, the, the fast pace or the fast food laden or the, uh, the, the sedentary indoor. If you really think about it, very few, time, very few times do we spend outside. That we go from the car to the house, to the house, to the car, car to work, to school, and very little time just breathing clean air. And if you're like me, you go, in, you go from work to the car, car inside, and you make yourself busy inside doing stuff. And so we don't know how to, and by the end of the night, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to give you what I think the Lord's plan is, but we don't let, allow ourselves just some breathing space. Have you ever felt that when you took a Sunday afternoon nap and you felt a little bit guilty because you just crashed for, you know, four hours? <laughs> and so we don't allow any of that breathing time. And so this doctor or this author uh, says that's the cause or that's the impetus or that's the, the trigger for a lot of the things that we deal with emotionally and mentally. Can I add this? And I know y'all think that I'm always harping on this, but cell phones and social media have heightened the feelings of, self, of low self-worth. That, that really, um, I wonder, well, I don't know how to say this. How much of our day is spent with looking at that screen? And can I, can I take it a step further that we're looking at a screen that is depicting someone else's life? I'm gonna get to that in just a second. That the, if, can we come to an understanding that a lot of our day is spent looking at what other people are doing and saying? And we, we're, a little, we're a little bit addicted to it. We're addicted to the, the processes of what other people are doing and saying. I, I, I kind of recommend this to you is that there's some people <laughs> in your Facebook, your Twitter, your Snapchat, whatever, there's some people that you just need to unfollow, <laughs> all right? There's some people that you just need to hide. I have, you know, can I just be honest for two seconds? There's some things that just set me, I'll, I'll see them on Facebook or whatever, and either I don't approve of what they're doing, or I compare myself to what they're doing, or I think about what they have and what I don't have, or what I have and they don't have, and, and I just don't like that feeling. And so many times I'll hide just so I don't experience it from that certain person or whomever. 
I had it the other day where I just I said, I just can't handle looking at that anymore with that person and what they post and how it makes me feel and how I feel toward them. So just very, I just hid them. And then it popped up on the JG, the, the, the notifications on the JG. So-and-so is live right now. I'm like, I'm trying to get away from you. <laughs> and the phone is telling you, come watch so-and-so. You know, there's a little bit of, well, wonder what so-and-so is doing. But then it just kind of just, am I the only one? I, I feel like I'm in therapy and y'all are looking at me like, you need to get a handle on your life. But you, it makes you feel a certain way about you when you look what's going on with other people. That we increasingly have a lack of personal identity as individuals. That we've lost sight of who God created us to be as people, as individuals, as, as his design. And, and, and all of a sudden, I'm pacing and I'm measuring and I'm graphing in my life against what someone else is doing. And all that to say when it comes to dealing with depression is that no wonder we're depressed. No wonder we don't feel good about ourselves. I'm trying to think what to say and what not to say. We have the inability to process pain. Can I, can I put another word in for pain? We have the inability to process discomfort. We have the inability to, to process through stuff that is hurtful. We have the inability to process through that something that triggers a low self-worth of ourselves. We, don't, we can't process it. And can, can I take that a step further? Is that because we don't process it, it becomes paramount in our life. It becomes a big old albatross around our neck. It becomes something that just occupies our, our spirit and our soul because we haven't learned how to process through things that are difficult. We lack leadership and coaching and mentoring because people think they've arrived. They don't think that they need anybody in their life to aid them. Or they think that somebody in their life to, to help them is just somebody that's going to boss them around or tell them what they need to do. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm going to seek someone in my life that helps me with direction. And can I say from my end, well, two ways on my end that I, I needed in my life, somebody to be a leader to me and somebody to be uh, uh, somebody that mentors me. But the other way is, is true as well. I sometimes hate when I have to say the tough stuff. We've told people it's okay. That should be we, even not we told. We told, we told them. We told people it's okay to be self-absorbed. I remember that story of that mother that the children were getting ice cream at the counter at Chick-fil-A, wherever it was, and they just grabbed the ice cream out of the, lady, out of the, the server's hand, and the mother went and grabbed the ice cream and threw it away because they didn't even say thank you to her to whomever it was, that we've lost sight of, of seeing people's worth. Can I, can I, this isn't in my notes, but I've been watching this series. Actually, I completed the series. Lord Jesus, help me. That Netflix has become just a, but Making a Murderer. Has anybody seen that show? The second season, the first season for that matter. And you know, the thing that has hit me the greatest about that story is the, the parents, the elderly parents. 
that they're uneducated, that they're poor, that they don't talk well. And I think, I think about, and of all the things that have happened to their family, I instantly think about that these are what society just calls throwaway people, that it doesn't matter who they are. It doesn't matter their pain. It doesn't, where have, why have we got to that point where precious, precious people with air, with breath in them, with blood on the inside of them, with, with feelings and emotions and a soul, and we don't, we have, we've lost sight of that, the, the ability to say, you're important, you matter. And I'm bothered, I'm bothered by it in me. I, I shudder, I, I, I quake at the thought that I would treat somebody that they were less than me because I thought I was in a better place than them. And I'm sure I've done it. But until we get to that place where we see other people's value and their worth and their treasure, then I realized it's not about me. I wonder what would happen. And can I just, one of the, one again, I was like, I'm gonna have to pay y'all money for being my therapist today. <laughs> that I sometimes have to look at things and look at things on social media and say, Jonathan, it's not about you. It's not about you and how you feel and how stuff affects you and how, it's not about you. Lamentations, if we think about, if we think about um, people that go through hard times, you know, sometimes in our, hyper-Christianity beliefs, we would tell people, no, you just need to pray through, you just need to speak the word, even though I believe in all this, you just need to you know, call it something else than it is. But there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations, Lamenting, a whole book in there. I don't suggest you dwell in it, but there is a Bible that's been, a book that's been canonized that's a whole thing about being down. And here's what it says. It says, O Lord, all peace and all prosperity have long since gone and you have taken them away. I have forgotten what enjoyment is and hope is gone and my strength has turned to water and the Lord has left me. We know that's not true, but can I highlight those words? Have you ever been that place that your hope was low? Have you ever been in that place where your strength was gone? I have. For I can neither forget these awful years. Always my soul will live in utter shame. And even if we go to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians. I'm pushing, nothing's happening. And it wet my finger. Okay, we, <laughs> we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experience in the province of Asia. Listen to what Paul says. He says, we were under great pressure. <laughs> far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired. This is the apostle Paul, the man of faith, the man of the writings of the New Testament. And he said that at one point, we despaired of life itself. Now, we're not going to just, you know, camp out on that, but I wanted to make a point that even people that were part of the Bible felt in despair. Even a guy named Elijah, Elijah in 1 Kings, it said, now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done. In the, verse, or the chapter before 18, he had just called down fire on the prophets of Baal and had, I mean, this fire was burned through rock and everything. And the, then they, all these prophets, hundreds of prophets were killed by the name of the Lord. And the next chapter, Jezebel, 
Y'all know some Jezebels? I mean, Je- Jezebel <laughs> said everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets of Baal. And so Jezebel sent a message to Elijah after his great victory, by the way. May the gods deal with me, be it even so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like the one of the prophets that you had killed. Listen to Elijah, the man of faith, the man of great victory, the man of, uh, you know, I just came through the fire and I got a song in my heart. He says he was afraid and ran for his life. And when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. Now, there's one mistake. There was one person with him that probably could have encouraged him and Elisha, Elijah left that guy there. And then he went, he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. Now, when you're on foot and you're a day's journey from somebody, you're alone. <laughs> you're all on your own. And he came to a broom bush and sat underneath and prayed that he might die. Listen to what he says to the Lord. I have had enough, Lord. <laughs> I want to get t-shirts made that I've had enough. <laughs> Put Metroplex Church on the back and on the front. I've had enough, Lord. (laughs) Would anyone buy one? I'd buy one. He said, take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. There will be a battle in our minds for faulty thinking. That if the enemy can get in there, even after a great victory, I experienced this not, not too much. I'm getting, old, I'm getting old, I think a little bit wiser in my old age, but some of the toughest times that ministers have is after Sunday service. And I used to, I don't anymore, but I guess because I'm, I don't know, I like to, I sleep easy or whatever, but many times on Wednesday would be the toughest time that you were dealing with your mind just right after you preached preached God's victory and preached encouragement to people. And many times uh, ministers will have their toughest time after they just did a series of sermons on a Sunday or whatever. Even these guys that have multiple services. Just recently in the news, this young minister, like three small children and a beautiful wife and had a church. And, and this man dealt so much with depression that he, that he took his life, a minister, a pastor, Rick Warren, a guy who's just world-renowned for the purpose-driven life, the purpose-driven church, all those powerful things that he and Saddleback have done that his son, one of his sons, took, took his life not too many years ago. It's tough. I, told, I started out by telling you even in our family, the, a, kid, a, a young man that our nieces and nephews called Uncle Bruce, and one day he's here, the next day he's on life support and gone. But look what Paul says in Philippians. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, what is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think on these things. And I thought about that as I read through my message notes two or three times before I preach it. And so I was looking at this one last time before I, I came up here. I said, you know, God, I just used that, that scripture in my last series that whatever is true, whatever is noble. And I thought, well, gosh, that's going to take some effort when I think whatever is true, what is noble, whatever is right, whether it is excellent. And, and just the Spirit of God came up inside of me and said, John, just, Jonathan, just think about Jesus. <laughs> You'll get the rest of it right. Just think, just think about Jesus. Think about him. That when life is tough, when it's hard, 
when it's difficult, I can just think about Jesus. I can think about him, what he's doing, who he is, his joy, his, his life. And hope these are good tips for you. Never isolate yourself. Like we just read there in, in 1 Kings that Elijah got to that place where he sent the service servant away and then he went a day's journey. He, never isolate yourself. That your emotions will take every opportunity to lie to you. That all kinds of bombardment on your mind will be, and you just feel overwhelmed. You just feel like you're, like you're just, it's more than you can handle. And then when you separate yourself, maybe by some months or some years, you look back and say, every single bit of that was a lie. And, it, and if you're like me, you're like, and that lie rocked my world. But if you don't isolate yourself, if you find, can I help you with something? Find one or two, maybe three, three max, three max, but one person in your world that you trust, that you share with, that you're there for, that you don't go and tell all their secrets to everybody else, but you, you know, one person, all you need is one. And let that person be somebody that you can confide in. And when you're going through a tough time, you can tell that person. And that person's there to pray and encourage you. You ever, you ever had that when you just, I've, I've had this where I was just going through a tough time and then got a text from someone. I was just thinking about you and praying for you. Oh my gosh. All of a sudden, my back straightened up, my shoulders came back, my chin came up by one text what we could be to someone. And I, and I think we think that we're supposed to have, you know, 17 best friends. And if one of them goes away and we're down to 16, then the world is over. But if you just have that one, that one close friend, that one cousin, that one coworker, that one, that one friend, and they, they could be in another state, that one friend that you know that I don't have to be alone For some, for, uh, find someone, well, I'm kind of jumping ahead of myself. Find someone to stand with you. This is interesting in Ecclesiastes. I like this. In Ecclesiastes, it says this. My fingers aren't working today. There it goes. A person standing alone can be attacked and defended, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three is even better, for a triple-braided cord is not easily broken. I like that, that two can stand back to back. That came from the word, word of God, by the way. Does anybody have that friend that's got your back? Your ride or die friend. I mean, you, I mean somebody you know you can, <laughs> you, can, you can count on them. And be that one person to them. Be that one person that has their back. You know, if you have a handful of people, one or two, three or people in your life, and here's another thing, that someone starts trashing them, you stop, jump in and say, oh, no, you're not gonna trash them in front of me that you treasure and value and nurture and develop that relationship with them and just tell them, hey, I am here for you. I'm gonna be, I've said this you know, many times in, in the course of ministry, I'm gonna be your biggest cheerleader. You're not, gonna, you're not gonna be without somebody that's gonna cheer you on. Be that to someone. Look for that in someone. We too often are led by our feelings. 
I thought this was interesting. Chris Hodges said this. He said, emotions are like waves. They crash and then they recede. If you've ever been in an ocean, have you been in an ocean where the waves came in and they knocked you down? Even if you were in shallow water, well, they didn't just keep on knocking you down. At one point, they, came, they withdrew and they receded. And emotions are like that. I had something that just hit me Monday. Just this thought, just this overwhelming thought. It's like, oh man. I mean, have you ever done that where you just fabricated the entire ending of something and it was horrible? (laughs) I mean, it was just a disaster. And then by the next day, by Tuesday, I completely felt different about that whole situation. And what happened? Two things. One, I allowed myself to process pain, to process discomfort. And I also told myself, I'm probably, and, and I think that's my next, my, my next thing, you'll feel differently soon. Don't, don't ever, have you ever had that where you just, where everything just was falling apart? Or, are you, or sometimes what I do, I have created everything in my brain and everything is falling apart. And then a day or two later, I'm like, it's actually okay. And I, when you allow yourself time, over time, you'll think differently ab- about what's going on. Never, 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 never compare yourself to someone else. I think that's where our biggest, our biggest follow-ups come from. Is that we compare ourselves to someone else and there's two extremes to that one you can think you're so much better than someone else that's a lonely place to be but then the other side of that is you think well look what all they have have you ever have you seen that where on social media or felt that on social media that everybody else's relationships are perfect I mean, they just, they've got these pictures of them skipping through meadows and the, sun, the setting sun is just hitting them so perfectly and they're barefoot. And, uh, <laughs> and it's just, a, it's just a, an, a, what do you call it? An expression of perfection. They probably just farted right before they saw that scene right there. And, and, but that's not what we see. That's, I mean, they probably got hemorrhoids and they're skipping through the meadow. They're it, their butt is itchy, scratchy, but they're skipping. You never know. Right, can we pull that out of the tape real quick? <laughs> can we go on live real quick? But have, have, you, have you, I had somebody tell me last week, just somebody came up and said, you're the most like Jesus of all the people I know. I was like, you don't know very many people. <laughs> I was like, Lord, help us all. <laughs> I was all looking around like, you done gone crazy. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that other than that just freaked me out. But never compare yourself. Never see what some, where someone else is or what they have and, and comparing yourself. Do you know what's happening? Taylor, Taylor knows this right because he does video editing. Taylor can have this much length of video for a shoot 
And the finished product is about that long. Now he's got this much tape, this much recorded, but when the finished product, it's that long. So when you see something, what somebody has or is doing, you're seeing a finely edited 10 second version of their life and you're trying to compare it to your 24-7 reality, well, they have a 24-7 reality too. They get up with the same stanky breath you get up with. And so we compare our lives, our full-fledged 24-7, minute-by-minute life to someone's finely edited, uh, you know that selfie, that there was 73 before that one, that they picked that one to be the one that they posted? Because the mood was right, the lighting was perfect, the phone was just so. Uh-huh. And then the, the four before that, she realized she got a pimple right in the middle of her forehead that she had to pop. <laughs> nobody's, nobody's life is as good as it looks on Snapchat. Nobody's. They want you to think it is. Here's the, here's the trap and the trick of that. You've put something up there that took you a bazillion times to get it right. You put it up there, it gets 120 likes and you think that you've arrived. <laughs> what in the world have we become? And this all goes back to what I, what I started by saying is that so many people are dealing. And let me, let me, let me clarify this. Oh my gosh, it's time to shut this thing down. Take, uh, uh, Allie, come on up. So many people are dealing with emotional deficits in their life. And let me take this a step further because I think this will help some people, but chemical, chemical things in their life. And, and they're gauging who the Lord is by what they're experiencing emotionally at the moment and, and just the stuff going on in their bodies. And, and that's just a dangerous place to be. Let me, let me say this two different ways because I'm, I'm out of time tonight. But if you're dealing with emotional difficulty in your life, find someone. Find someone. And if you really, here's the cool thing about that. And forgive me, I know you all, we didn't finish our fill-ins, but I think this is important to stop right here you're probably thinking about somebody that you think, well, who could that be? And there's probably five or six people in your life that would be absolutely honored if you came and asked them to be there for you. And then the second thing is this, if, if, if you're dealing with a, a chemical imbalance in your go seek medical help, trust the Lord Pray the word over your life. Stand in faith. Never give up. But at the same time, there's sometimes that a little, what do you call it? A little season of medicine will help you through that. And I'm not, I'm not saying that you get to a place where you're just so medicated that you're just a zombie and you can't feel anything. But we're, if, if, if I had flu symptoms, I'd go get some Tamiflu. 
to ease the, ease the, the symptoms of Tamiflu. But many people think, well, if you go get anything for, uh, anything for, uh, that, that you're dealing with mentally, then there's something wrong with you. No, no. No, and I'm not saying go get, you know, 17 prescriptions and you're strung out on something. I'm talking about go get medical help. What ends up happening, and, I, and thank you for letting me just be, there's nothing, there was no fluff with this message. No fluff, but I think it's important that allow yourself the space and, and the rest in God. Can I say this? One of the things that I quoted out is that we're so sleep deprived that, that have you ever, have you got up, got up on, on, a, on a morning and you're, you're as, you're still tired. <laughs> I've had it where I've got up on a, on a, I get up and I'm getting ready for work or the day. I'm like, oh, I'm tired still. I've got up from sleep and I'm tired. And we have to get to that place when it comes to spiritual, emotional health, mental health, chemical and physical health that we take care of us, that we take care of ourselves that we create that space. And, 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 and can I just end by saying this, that stop, I don't have my phone on me, but stop letting that little screen drive your life. And if you think about it, I, I think if we just took note of how much of how we feel about everything, just everything in general, is dictated by a flat grass glass screen that I have moments of pleasure that I have moments of joy that I, but, but at the same time through that same screen I have moments of, of low self-worth I have moments of inadequacy in me I have moments that I'm comparing myself to people whose underwear is nasty themselves come on now because I've never compared myself to someone else that I didn't think how perfectly they had it and how rotten mine was. Never. Well, that's just, that's, that's a trap. Let me pray over you tonight. Father, I lift up every person that's hearing this word, even if they're watching it on, on, online. And I, I believe, God, that you have the ability to say stuff to them that, that didn't come from me, but came from the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, I'm setting my faith right now that people in this room and people online have heard something in their spirit by the Word of God. They've heard something on the inside that ministered as only the, the precious Holy Spirit can do that ministers to them right where they're at. And I'm asking you, God, that they would, they would find that ability on the inside of them to yield to the Holy Spirit, that they would yield to his ministry in their life, that he, they would yield to his love in their lives, that they would yield to his voice and to his, to his encouragement in their lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. Right in the middle of 
praying that, just the Lord spoke to me that somebody in here, maybe they're watching. I don't even know if we're still alive or not. That you have not let the Lord love you. You don't think you're worthy. You don't think, you don't think that, um, that anybody will love you, much less God himself. And, and just right in the middle of that prayer, the Lord prompted me, let, let the Lord love you. Let him love you. You know the image that I just got? Have you ever seen uh, people that have a new baby? And they've got that little baby and I don't know, something that you often see with dads with their babies. I guess it's baby girls mostly. And oh, they'll take that little baby and that little baby just cooing and moving and, and they'll just kiss that baby. They'll kiss it on its forehead and they'll kiss it on its cheek. They'll kiss it on its shoulder and just, I mean, just love and hold that thing close. And that baby doesn't know anything that's going on. It's just thinking about, where's my next bottle? <laughs> I got poop in my underwear, in my, you know, my diaper. It doesn't, and it doesn't really have a choice other than to let that parent just love them. And I believe that God desires that in our lives that he just wants us to be at that place where we let him love us and we quit trying to figure out for what reason he should love us. Just that baby. I mean, he can't do nothing. Can't get away, can't squirm, can't, can't get in the car, can't drive down the street. <laughs> it doesn't have any options but to be loved. And I believe that God's heart for us is that. That his heart. So when we when we go through that time where we're just, you know, it just seems like the shadow of everything is on us, that we just stop right there and say, God, I'm gonna let you love me in this moment. I'm gonna let you tell me my worth. I'm gonna let you tell me who I am. I'm gonna let you love on me in this moment. And he will, he will. He will, if you'll take the time, if you'll take the moment, he will. Amen.